And so whilst we delight in the love of God for the church, we delight in the love of God for the corporate covenant community, yet we still emphasize and we must remind ourselves, Jesus loves me, this I know. That, that individual appropriation of the gospel, we can, we can cling hold of the truth. God values me. Hello, you're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. The Psalm 116, reading from verse 1 through to the verse number 9. Let's hear the word of the Lord. I love the Lord because he hath heard my voice and my supplications, because he hath inclined his ear unto me, therefore will I call upon him as long as I live. The sorrows of death compass me, and the pains of hell got hold upon me, and I found trouble and sorrow. Then called I upon the name of the Lord, O Lord, I beseech thee, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord, and righteous, yea, our God is merciful. The Lord preserveth the simple, I was brought low, and he helped me. Return unto thy rest, O my soul, for the Lord hath dealt bountifully with thee. For thou hast delivered my soul from death, mine eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Amen. May God be pleased to bless his word to your hearts tonight. Uh, tonight I want to begin a new series of studies in our prayer meetings. I'm going to call it, really, the series is based upon the subject of experiential praying. Experiential praying. Uh, in our prayer meetings, we, we rightly focus on the kingdom and upon congregational matters we pray for revival, we pray for church growth, we pray for salvation, we pray for missions, we pray for others. And these are all improper and important prayers. But such should not lead us to think that we ought not to pray for ourselves. Now, the prayer meeting is usually not the best place for personal praying. It's not the best place to unburden your soul about things that are perhaps very private in your own spiritual experience. But whilst it may not be the best place for personal praying of the sort that we're going to look at, it is a good place for us to study it together. Experiential praying. The word experiential, of course, is connected to uh, the more usually used word experience. Experiential religion. The old Puritans used to refer to it as experimental religion. It speaks of an experience of God. We might use the term fellowship with God or communion, an experiential relationship with the Lord. But I'm not thinking even here of, our, uh, or of an abstract relationship with God because experiential religion and experiential prayer is really a bringing of our lives to God. It's bringing our lives before the Lord. 
placing our lives into God's care. Very simply, experiential religion is living with the Lord day by day, minute by minute. That is what it is to walk with God, to know true religion. Experiential religion means involving God actively in our lives, in our daily lives. Having an experience of God in the changing scenes of life, that whatever tomorrow may bring, we bring tomorrow before the Lord. It involves knowing grace and enjoying grace. And you think of the hymn, He walks with me and he talks with me along life's narrow way. Such an experience of God, such experiential religion is not a fanciful idea of a poet. It's embedded in the Word of God through the experiences of the saints of God from Adam walking with the Lord in the garden to John knowing communion with God in Revelation. But it comes to the fore particularly. This matter of our lives and encountering God in our lives, it comes to the fore particularly in the prayers and in the praise of the psalmists. But where do you begin? 150 psalms, how do you begin to, uh, to structure and organize such a, a wealth of material as we come to, to try to organize this topic in the next number of weeks and months? How do you treat such a vast subject? Well, I want to walk along with you through some of the psalms, looking at prayers that have a very consistent format and form. They are prayers that consist of a verb or a verb group along with, a, along with the word me. The verb and then me. Examples, save me, lead me, judge me, have mercy upon me, teach me, direct me, preserve me, cleanse me, hear me, be not far from me, and many, many more. I began to, what I did, I went through, I went through the Psalms and began to create all of the verses. Uh, and I, it was overwhelming. I found myself, I was copying and pasting and I had pages and pages and pages of texts. Twelve point, single spaced. I was expecting, expecting a fair amount of material. I did not expect to receive what I received. That's how dominant this thought is in the Word of God. In fact, we are looking across and the Psalm 119 is in my Bible and the Psalm 119 has, has dozens of these all on their own. Even before you get to the rest of the Psalms, you have many, many references in this sort of, uh, this sort of structure. What you see in such a prayer, so a verb followed by the word me, you are reading the psalmist encountering a felt need, experiencing a felt need, experiential religion. And as he encounters a felt need, he then asks the Lord to address that need. Personal, experiential praying, relating to the Lord in the scenes of time. And so that's what I want to do over the next several weeks and months. But before we get into some of the detail, I want to ground this series, and tonight's really is an introductory message uh, based on what will then uh, lead from this into the rest of the series. And I want to ground this in some biblical principles that ought to be understood for us to benefit here. And there are three principles that I want to leave with you today. I want to show you, remind you about God's interest, 
in the individual Christian. I want to remind you of God's knowledge of the individual Christian. And finally, God's promises to the individual Christian. So let's begin with this thought of God's interest in the individual Christian. Look at verse number 6 of Psalm 116. And we're using Psalm 116 really just as a springboard for some of these thoughts. There are other Psalms we could have turned to. But you have there in the verse number 6, The Lord preserveth the simple. I was brought low, and he helped me. He goes from the general, the general principle, the Lord preserves, the, the simple, that sense of those who are trusting the Lord, those who are lowly, humble in hearts. And then he makes that personal, I was brought low and he helped me. You see, praying for me, if I use that term, is grounded upon a proper understanding of the doctrines of grace. Understanding the Reformed faith is the ground upon which we can pray such prayers. Because the doctrines of grace, they teach us that God has an interest in the individual. I want to highlight that in three, three areas, three doctrines. You take the doctrine of election properly taught in the Reformed faith. Election is the election of individuals. Not an undefined mass of humanity, but rather the personal and particular choice of an individual to be a child of God. The Lord speaks of my people, my sheep. And if you want some proof as to the individual nature of election, you go no further than John chapter 6, where Christ says he will lose none of those given to him by the Father. For that to be true... Each and every one of those number must be known of Christ. He cannot lose any. He will lose none. That's only possible if they are known and loved personally. And so Paul will speak to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. And so Paul could speak of a particular body of people and say, we know your election, we are those who've come to believe the gospel. But the faith in Christ, which Paul uses to prove the election of the Thessalonians, that faith in Christ is individual. We don't do it as a company. We must believe, if you like, on our own two feet. So you have that sense of election. Furthermore, in Romans chapter 8, you have the sense, moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified. Now, without doubt, we understand justification to be an individual experience. Some of the notions, actually, in, in some modern thinking and errors regarding justification have made it a more corporate experience. But the Bible teaches very much, how shall a man be right before God? Individually right before God, only the just shall live by faith. Individually, we stand right before God in our justification. So those who are justified are called. We're going to see in a minute or two that calling is individual. And therefore, the whom he did predestinate must also be seen as an individual experience. Election is election of the individual. What about the doctrine of particular redemption? That flows on from that particular matter of election. And surely that teaches that Christ died for specified individuals. He does not die to make salvation possible to an unidentified mass. 
He dies to secure salvation for the individual. And the hymn writer, In my place condemned, he stood. Or as Paul says, The Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, Galatians chapter 2. Therefore, in our justification, my sins are pardoned. When Christ comes as our substitute, he comes bearing our sins personally. That has to be the case. It has to be the matter that each and every sin that we've committed will be paid by Christ. And that's the doctrine of particular redemption. He came to die for his people. Those who were the elect of God, those are the ones that he came to die for. Particular redemption is a reminder again of God's interest in the individual Christian. Thirdly, the doctrine of the effectual call also proves God's interest in the individual. I've mentioned already Romans chapter 8 and verse number 30. Those who were predestinated, them he also called. Whom he called, them he also justified. In our justification, we are individually accepted. And therefore, we are called individually. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. You see, this, this general thought of the individual nature of our, of our predestination and our justification allows Paul to then speak to Timothy personally. And he says to Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, verse 12, Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, for unto thou art also called. It's a very personal thing. The call is personal. God's internal work in our hearts is individual. The Spirit working in our souls. He called me. You see this working out in a gospel meeting where there are two people sitting in the same pew hearing the same word and God works in the life of one of those persons. They're saved. They're called. If you like, they're born again. Their heart's changed. And the heart of the one sitting beside them is left unchanged. Salvation from election all the way through to glorification is individual. We will receive our bodies in the resurrection, reunited with our bodies, now glorified, now immortal. And so whilst we delight in the love of God for the church, we delight in the love of God for the corporate covenant community, yet we still emphasize and we must remind ourselves, Jesus loves me, this I know. That, that individual appropriation of the gospel, we can, we can cling hold of the truth. God values me. God cares for me. God is committed to me. God is covenantly bound to love me. All of those things are individual. Hence, we have a right to pray, Lord, lead me, Lord, teach me, Lord, save me, Lord, deliver me, Lord, have mercy upon me. All of those prayers are grounded upon the gospel. The gospel that praise God is not for an undefined company, but the gospel that is for Christ's people. So that each of us who've come to know Christ can say, Lord, you love me and you give yourself for me. And so that's the foundation of God's interest in the individual Christian. What about the truth of God's knowledge of the individual Christian? Psalm 116 and the verse number 3, uh, the psalmist describes his experience, his circumstances, 
The sorrows of death compass me and the pains of hell get hold upon me. I found trouble and sorrow. Then called I upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, deliver my soul. And so as he encounters life, this is what experiential religion looks like. That as our feet are upon the ground, so we bring our circumstances and our trials before the Lord. He responds in prayer. When it says in verse number four, then called I upon the name of the Lord. As the psalmist brings his needs before the Lord, deliver my soul. The Lord is not caught by surprise by the psalmist's predicament. He knows us personally. He knows our lives. He knows our ways. You see, turn over to Psalm 139. This, of course, is the uh, classical psalm regarding the knowledge of God. I turn you again to see that God's knowledge of you is not vague. It's not an amorphous knowledge. It is a very particular knowledge, a precise knowledge, an all-encompassing knowledge. Verse number 2, Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. There's not a word in my tongue, but thou, or, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it all together. Our thoughts, our words, our ways, all known by God. He knows our ways. That indicates, at least to my mind, that he knows those things that are before us in our ways. He knows those things that surround us in our ways. He sees the tears that fall. He feels and knows the pain that we feel as we walk in a fallen world. He knows all about us. And yet the psalmist will close the psalm, lead me in the way everlasting. The knowledge of God provokes such a prayer. You see, when we have this personal experiential praying that we're going to see, we do so presenting our heart to God even though he knows us. Often ask the question, well, why pray when God knows already? Young people ask that. Why do I, why do I tell God my needs? He knows my needs. Why do I tell God my pains? He, he knows my pains. He knows my hurts. Why do, I, why do I present them before the Lord? Well, because of the experiential nature of praying. Understanding the living and the praying of the psalmist is, is really helpful when we come to think about our own lives. We love the Lord. We love our Father, our brother, our friend, and our Savior. And in experiential praying, we're expressing that. We are showing our dependence. We are enjoying faith and confidence in God. That's why in that Psalm 116, you have this sense. He feels the pain in verse number 3. Death is upon him. Well, then called I upon the name of the Lord. We fall gladly upon God. As a wife may fall upon her husband in a season of distress. He will know her distress. He may know the agony of her ways. But it is his knowledge of her that encourages her to turn to him and to fall upon him. It's because she knows that he knows her. 
that then encourages her, that in her distress she'll fall in faith upon her husband to strengthen her. That's experiential marriage. And it is that experiential marriage that we do see ultimately in our marriage with Christ. He knows us. We are his bride. And it is because he knows us that we gladly fall upon him and we envy John who lives in the bosom of Christ. And we, we gladly unburden our souls, even though he knows our needs, we gladly tell him those needs because he knows them. And he delights to hear them. And so, in turn, as he hears us and answers our prayers, so this experiential religion is a strengthened by grace. Look at verse 1 of Psalm 116. I love the Lord because he hath heard my voice and my supplications. There is this unburdening of our souls. And as he hears us and answers our prayers, so that strengthens the love. Experiential praying is vital for a healthy walk with God. It's crucial that you do not presume and say, well, the Lord knows, therefore, no, because the Lord knows, you gladly pour out your heart in dependence upon him, praying in pain, and praying in the delight of communion with God. So the bottom line is, the psalmist doesn't doubt the omniscience of God. The psalmist doesn't question God's knowledge of him. But the evidence Pages and pages and pages of single-spaced 12-point text proves the fact that even though the psalmist knows that God knows him, he still brings his needs before God's. It's not an obstacle. It's an encouragement to prayer. And so be encouraged. Leave your burdens upon the Lord. If I can say one passing note of encouragement... The knowledge that God has for us is a reminder to us that even when we neglect the Lord, He still knows us. He doesn't require our prayers to know our needs. Sometimes we come to the end of a season of particular affliction and we find ourselves looking back over the past months or weeks and we say to ourselves, but I really did not get before God. Such is God's mercy that even in those seasons, He knows us. That's the joy of being in fellowship with the Lord. So we gladly enter communion. That's part of our joy, that's part of our privilege. And praise God, he's a God that hears our voice. Thirdly then, what about God's promise to the individual? God's promise to meet every need. You get that implied in verse number 6 and 7 of Psalm 116. The Lord preserveth the simple, I was brought low, and he helped me. Return unto thy rest, O my soul, for the Lord hath dealt bountifully with thee. How can the psalmist rest there? Because he rests in the knowledge that God is reliable. He rests in the knowledge that God has promised covenantally to meet all of his needs. You see, presenting to God our needs... Even though he has promised to meet our needs, is part of experiential religion. We pray upon the ground of the promises. 
Experiential praying feeds upon the promises. We have not because we ask not. The promises are there, but it is in the purpose of God that we ask for these things. Many of you will lay hold upon the promise of Psalm 84 in the verse number 11. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. There's a promise to hold on to, a promise to cling to. You think of the Romans chapter 8, all things for good. Because in verse number 32, all things are given. So that at the end of the, or end of the chapter, all things are overcome. So in all things, nothing can separate us because all things are given to us by Christ, wherefore all things work for our goods. Those are promises. He will never leave us nor forsake us. My God shall supply all of our needs. We love these things. And so you think of the Psalm 65 and the verse number 24, and it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer, and while they are yet speaking, I will hear. That's how the promises of God apply to our souls. So the promises are certain, our needs will be met. And yet again, the psalmist dozens and dozens of times asks for God, asks for God to do something for him. And prayer is a means whereby we have these needs met. So we are going to, we're going to jump in to the Psalms. And we're going to consider some of these personal prayers. But we do so, don't we? We, we do so looking back through Calvary. I've said that already. We know that the promises, the promises are met because of Calvary. Having spared not his own son, delivered up for us all, he will freely with him give us all things. So we actually look back in the Psalms with even stronger ground for faith. We've seen the promises fulfilled in the person of Christ in his life and in his death. Don't stop praying me in your praying. Don't just pray me, but don't forget to pray me in your praying. Because that's what God has told us in his word. What a blessing it is to come before God individually and personally. He knows us. He's chosen us. He's called us. He sent his son to die for us. And the throne of grace is open for us. Lord, save me. Lord, help me. Lord, deliver me. Lord, lead me. Whatever it might be, we have the joy of praying to God. Lord, help me. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.